Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Stranded Technologies podcast. I'm your host and founder of Infinita Fund, Nicholas Anzinger. In this show, we talk about how to accelerate the future. Our thesis is that many life-improving technologies are held back by institutional barriers. How can we unblock vast opportunities while mitigating against the risks? What ethical principles, rules, and regulations can guide us on that path? We will discuss these questions with entrepreneurs, policymakers, and industry experts. If you enjoy the show, please give us five stars and visit us at infinitafund.com to join the community. Today is November the 9th in 2022, and my guest is Santiago Pinzon. Santiago is the founder and CEO of Orchid Health. Orchid aims to revolutionize healthcare in Latin America through autonomous drone delivery. Today, we're going to have a discussion on technological and regulatory challenges in the aviation industry and how to unlock a future of rapid logistics. Santiago, welcome to the show. Nick, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here and uh, talk about drone delivery, healthcare, and the autonomous revolution that is much needed on this part of the world in Latin America. Fantastic. It's my honor to have you on the show. Santiago, what would you like listeners to know about you? I'm an aerospace engineer. It means an, I'm an aviation geek. Love movies like Top Gun, right? That's... <laughs> That literally goes and runs through your veins. I was born in the 80s, so pretty much the space shuttle era. It brings a lot of inspiration when I was a kid and what I wanted to do. I had this dream as a kid to become an astronaut. I'm from Colombia, so that was, that was a moonshot. It still was an inspiration. Seeing the whole space shuttle program and the aeronautical and aviation progress in terms of space exploration and what it could do to humanity because it literally brings humanity together when when you do outstanding engineering feats and that was something that stroke on me and i i graduated from high school in colombia and then went to pursue education in the us i did aerospace engineering my bachelor's in aerospace engineering at embry-riddle aeronautical university in daytona beach a great school for aviation enthusiasts it has a, an awesome program in in everything related to aviation from aeronautical science all the way to aerospace and physics etc and Plus, you, you're close to an airport and you get to see planes all the time. I had a great experience there. Then I pursued my master's uh, in aerospace engineering. And then I worked for the industry in the U.S. for quite a bit. Uh, I worked for uh, Cirrus Aircraft on the Advanced Development uh, Group. Outstanding, great experience. I joined in first as an intern and then I was offered a full-time job in the aerodynamics department. I had great peers, great mentors, and it was a great project to be in. It was the development of the uh, SF-50 jet. And literally when I came in, it was pretty much at that napkin sketch point. And we went through the entire process of having a real flying prototype that will eventually go through certification. 
this experience in the U.S. and working on a high-tech project in the aviation industry and um, getting to know also great people. I had an awesome mentor, Snorri Goodmanson, a brilliant, brilliant aerodynamicist. And he brought to the table the fact that we could dream big and, and the Cirrus SF-50 jet is that, is the culmination of great teamwork to actually make this aircraft a reality. What is today, the Cirrus SF-50 jet won the Collier Trophy, which is like the Nobel Prize for aviation technology in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. And it, it brings pride that we all worked on that project and made it. I always want to bring that airspace aeronautical experience to LATAM. Uh, I think Latin America needs a lot of innovation, a lot of of thinkers and doers that will actually invest time and resources for the development of new technologies because we lack of, right? Tom's economy is usually based on commodities. And I always want to bring that small grain of sand to Latam and say, you know what? We can develop tech that is usually delegated to first world countries, but we can do it here on a country that's under development, right? And Latam needs that. So talking about myself in terms of that aerospace experience, I want to bring it to Latin America. And, and I decided, you know what, it's time to, to found a company and have this vision and mission to bring autonomous logistics in this area. So Nick, that's pretty much my summary in terms of my background and what actually tickles my entrepreneurial spirit. It's hard when you take the jump, right, from corporate world to doing entrepreneurship because there's a lot of uncertainty. But if you have a vision and if you have this dream, I think you are on an unstoppable train of dedication and motivation. And of course, failure is part of the recipe in terms of knowing that you're going to fail, but you're going to learn from that failure. What is ORCID? And what is that dream that you're pursuing with ORCID? So we have this dream of bringing autonomous aerial logistics to Latin America. So AKA drone delivery, right? It's not something new. We're not revolutionizing. We're not inventing something new, but we're bringing a technology to a much needed region in the world that has extremely complex topography, very poor road infrastructure, and a lot of traffic, vehicular congestion. It's crazy. I believe five of the top 10 cities of worst traffic in the world are located in Latin America. We wanted to use and leverage with existing technologies to bring a system that will shorten distances in Latin America, that we could communicate first level hospitals with fourth level hospitals and bring in medical supplies, medical devices, and of course, blood and plasma to the much needed rural population in Latam. So our one-liner is we are a business-to-business -business rush delivery service provider using autonomous drones. And why drones? I do believe that we're, drones are not subject to road infrastructure, right? They're not subject to complex topography. You just fly in vectors. And that's literally the shortest distance between two points. 
And we believe that we can have a big impact with that technology here, especially on the healthcare sector. So that's our dream. That's what motivates us. And we want to bring access to healthcare logistics for Latin America. What's the, the state of the art in the technology? How much can we save in terms of costs or time versus the existing options? And where do you think are the most interesting applications for drone technology? Why did you choose B2B and health? Thank you for that question. I think it, it goes also in the core of ORCID. So when you go back 2012, 2014, right, where drones were picking up and there was this ecosystem that was starting to bring drone delivery in the, in the minds of corporations. And we have Amazon, right, spearheading the headlines of drone delivery and what people thought it was going to be mainstream. But there was this huge component that there are actually two components that actually hindered the progress of drone technology. One is, of course, regulation, and the other one was available technology. And when I say available technology, I'm talking of, of autopilot systems, um, communication systems, flight computers that had to jump from the hobbyist environment into a true certified aviation-grade systems. And within that area, all right, I think time in starting a drone company was of the essence in terms of understanding regulation and technological advancements. Because right now you have to deal with a commercial flight operation that will be regulated as an airline. So we literally had to sit down and think, are we are the right time to actually do this. So point in place is Sipline's story, right? They're the benchmark in, in the drone delivery. They're an amazing company and they started early and they had to develop technology from the ground up. And that's an incredible feat. And they went through uh, several rounds of investment that gave them also the cash flow to not only validate their technology in Africa, but at the same time, put them in a product market fit scenario where they could literally bring that experience to the US. And we have not faced the same challenges that Sipline faced in terms of technology development. We are right now leveraging the process of drone delivery through existing technologies that have fostered their growth because of companies like Sipline that have literally put into the map what a conscious and professional drone delivery process should be. So with that being said, we have now access to certified avionics, communication systems, and fly computers that are in the aviation grade standards and not in the hobbyist environment. That's one thing that comes into place when not reinventing the wheel, right? And building the puzzle the right way. So we at Orchid knew that we had to be very lean, very strategic, and actually know exactly what we we're going to face in terms of regulatory work. And why did we choose a B2B approach? This is a thought process that we have within the company. And it's because if you go B2C and, and you have 
a dynamic landing site. It brings also complexity on your operation. So we said, let's not shoot ourselves in the foot. Let's try and build an operation that is, I would say, less difficult, uh, not having dynamic landing sites, but having fixed landing sites. And that's when a B2B approach comes into place because you can target from like an airline hub, right? So you'll see like Delta has his Atlanta hub and you when you are sitting on a flight and you open the airline magazines, right? And you look at their map pretty much just at the end of the booklet where they have their routes and the hubs and all that stuff. That's what we want to approach drone operations to be is a hub and then fixed landing sites that will accommodate safe operations because that route has a risk analysis matrix associated to it. And you know that it, you are going to be flying that route constantly. So a clear example is medical fulfillment center, hospital A or hospital B or hospital C. So you've mapped all the hospitals that you could actually trigger through your entire drone operation. And that route, it's not going to change. It will change a little bit if you have adverse meteorological conditions, but in the overall scheme of things, it's going to be fixed. So you have control over its, its uh, risk analysis matrix. You have control of the operational standards and operational safety requirements of that route. And it's easier, right? So we decided let's do a B2B approach and let's communicate fulfillment centers with hospitals. Hospital will not move. It's going to be fixed. It's going to be a landing site. Fulfillment center, you can target based on demand their needs. So you're talking about medical devices, medical supplies, blood, plasma. And you can actually eliminate inventory by consignment. And that's a whole new different scenario for hospitals, right? More real estate for them. And also for the pharmaceuticals, they can actually charge when it is delivered. So that's a target market that we want to do. And we believe that Latin America can really benefit from this aspect. Certainly. Just to paint a picture of the future... Uber once used the phrase, what if you could have an on-demand urban air transportation system, both for goods and potentially for people, where you can go point to point. That's completely on-demand autonomous. I think that's a very compelling and interesting vision. What is surprising to me, it seemed to me there were already sort of lots of prototypes and discussions. And when I look at the technology that Orchid has or that Zipline has, Much of that already exists, but I must say, I'm not sure I've ever seen a drone that's been used for anything other than hobby flights. That's surprising. Yes. On the, when people think of drones, they immediately have a picture on their mind that resembles a hobbyist drone. But if you look at Zipline, if you look at DroneUp, Flytrex, or Matternet, or Mana, different companies that are spearheading innovation in drone delivery, You would see that it's a different, complete different environment because you're dealing right now with FAA Part 135 certification. They're treating you as an airline, which you have to accommodate type certification for your technology and an airworthiness certificate for your operation. So it's a whole new different ballgame. And that's when you deal with aviation-grade systems, avionics, redundancies, fail-safes. It's 
all way off of, of what people think in terms of drone delivery, right? They just imagine a multi-copter drone trying to deliver something through a tether on their backyard, but it's so much more complex. And that's something that we're working on. And we're very lean on the fact that before expanding our fleet, we want to get our latest and greatest prototype to fulfill a design authorization process in LATAM, which is pretty much get your type certificate for your technology and then look for your airworthiness certificate or an air carrier operation in the country. But the thing is, you right now have literally a professional grade technology that is safe to accommodate a commercial operation. You know, regulations taking place in the world right now to regulate drone delivery. And everybody's going to be measured by the same ruler. More technology will speed up its progress. And we've seen it, right? So Zipline in 2014 didn't have the availability of high tech that they could purchase off the shelf to actually fulfill their objective for drone delivery, right? The CEO was looking when they were first starting on purchasing a military-grade drone. And it was worth almost more than $200,000. So then your unit economics, they go down the drain, right? And you're like, okay, what can I do right now to fulfill regulatory requirements, but at the same time maintain unit economics and offer a commercial operation? Everybody that's in this ecosystem is faced with the same question. And what's going to matter in the future is how you approach the business and unit economics in that process. You said a couple of interesting things I want to talk a bit more about. We can talk much more about the regulation, obviously. But you said something before that Zipline first, and you sent me the Harvard Business case study, that they first started experimenting with commercial drone flights in Rwanda. Why was that? Yes, regulation. The FAA was not going to give them COAS or I don't know, I don't know if I'm making this up, but I don't know if part 107 was even written to the extent of giving authorizations for their operations back in 2014. But the answer to this question is openness to adopt a technology that will have a positive outcome. And Africa was the case, right? They had Rwanda and I believe Tanzania, but then they ended up choosing Rwanda. And it made a huge impact in terms of drone delivery and especially for the healthcare sector. So the ability for a country to welcome with, with open arms this sort of technology brings into the scenario that regulation can be flexible. If you have mature players that want to offer a service for the well-being of the country. And I think this is the perfect case where Zipline did amazing work in, in Africa, especially for the healthcare sector in supplying blood and plasma. So these test data, what was the impact that the test data had on the industry and also on Rwanda? Is it now, how much of it is used today? And are there any countries that looked at that data and chose to adopt some of it? it? It made a huge impact, especially on maternity mortality. And it, it like literally, they reduced it considerably. I'm talking more than 50, 60%. It probably could be even more. I, I don't have the numbers, but it's 
higher than 50% in terms of decreasing mortality rate because of the need of blood. And this actually showed the world and the pandemic also contributed to an acceleration of the need of autonomous delivery, being on the road or being in the air. It's a much needed service. And I think based on that success, Zipline could actually show its flight hours and operational service hours they had in Africa to the FAA and say, you know what, we have a, we're very confident on our operation. Let's work with COAS and then let's work on getting more serious and then achieve Part 135 air carrier certification. But the fact is that the, their experience in Africa was a worldwide example for all of us in, in, in the drone delivery or autonomous logistics environment. And it showcased really what technology could do for the healthcare industry and also for retail in, in the near future, right? When you see news about Walmart working with drone up flight trucks and zip line, and it's the statistics, they are mind blowing what it could do. So just imagine what this sort of service can actually do in Latam, where we have very poor road infrastructure. We're 42 times below the average of developed country in terms of having legacy infrastructure. And what I mean legacy infrastructure is road infrastructure, like the US or Europe, they're hyper-connected in terms of road infrastructure. LATAM is not, Latin America is not. So yes, it's a huge case. What's so interesting about that is you'd assume, oh, the United States has so much innovation going on. You'd assume that it's developed there and then it gradually gets adopted in other countries in Latin America or Africa as well. But it seems it's the other way around in the United States. And we're going to talk a bit more that the FAA that you mentioned a couple of times, the Federal Aviation Administration, if I'm not mistaken, had a very impermissive approach towards drones for a long time, maybe still. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yes, and great point that you're talking, Nick. And I do believe that the hobbyist environment had a lot to do with the FAA being like big brother and having this very tight oversight of what you could do and what you cannot do. There, there were drones going into airfields, right, airports, causing, of course, major security issues, especially on, on flight safety. The fact that that happened before a more mature system came into place made the Civil Aviation Authority very aware of what it could allow. And, and I guess the same thing happens in the world. We see it in Latam, right? Hobbyists, people think they could just buy a drone and try to fly it in a public area and people not knowing regulation, right? Flying next to airfields or flying next to public crowds. And, you know, it presents dangers. And so, of course, their thought process was we cannot let this go out of hand. And then people starting to think that they can buy an off-the-shelf drone, a DJI or something, attach a box, and then fly it from their home and try to deliver something to their grandma five miles away, right? And you need to have that oversight to avoid uh, that sort of, of mistakes and literally give sight to mature approaches. You, you have mature companies that understand this, this process and they have aviation background and they understand this, this is a commercial aviation operation. And you need to be very mature on everything that you do, not only with your tech, 
but with your operation, because that's the gold standard, safety, right? Just like when you go and you purchase a, an airline ticket. Yeah. Let me challenge that conventional view a bit, right? Correct me if you see it differently. I just had it in many other technologies. Mm -hmm. was a similar case. There's like a paradox of safety, right? So you're looking at new technology and its safety, but you're applying the same standards as you would to a mature industry. And the interesting result of that is, is that you lock in old technology, right? And so what happens is you leave old technology in the mix that is actually less than new technology could potentially be. And I think in aviation, that seems to be the case that for a long time, the technology of passenger airlines and aircraft hasn't improved that much. With drones, it's so easy because you're not carrying people. It's... You're just carrying cargoes, not sold. And the reason that, that, of course, aviation has not moved faster is because safety is paramount. And when you have something that works and works very well, because if you think about it, in commercial aviation is one of the safest methods of transportation based on statistics. And if you have a system that works and protects your safety, then, you know, It, it's not going to like leapfrog constantly, but we're seeing that we're seeing that with startups on the development. And, and of also hypersonic... just to mention that one detail and sorry to interrupt, no. it's that sort of non-passenger drone delivery technology is measured by the same standards as passenger aircraft, isn't that? Right? Yes, to some point, of course, the part 135 certification, it's like air carrier process. But of course, you have things that will not apply for drone for drones, right? And it's much simpler, but it's at the same time complex because in the end, it's safety that that is required. But there needs to be flexibility for testing. I think the FAA noticed this. And based on the experience that Zipline had in, in Africa and what MANA is doing in Ireland is it, the fact that there's flexibility of adopting this sort of technology and saying, you know what, let's showcase this. Let's Let's do waivers and let's adapt fairly easy this sort of technology so then we can incorporate it safely onto commercial airspace and then not have a problem that a, a drone generated an accident or you know of course there's the last thing that you want to do is for a drone to generate a cost of or, or the loss of a life right it's all a mix of regulation it's it never matches the pace of technological advancement and once it catches it or tries to catches it It's not relevant of what the technology it is at the point it catches it up. So it's hard. It's hard. I feel for the regulator, but then I also feel for us in the in the world of trying to incorporate the technology because we have suffered with those consequences because here in Latam, it has been very difficult to try to accommodate similar waivers that the FAA had to try and showcase the technology because, of course, public servants will not sign off on a waiver if they feel unsecure. And that lack of security is literally given because of the poor knowledge on technology and systems that are going to be used by drone tech, right? Yeah. And also incentives, right? Because there's mm. seen consequences and unseen consequences. So if a drone, there's an accident and someone is hurt as a result, that's a seen and visible consequence. What is not seen is what you mentioned is how many mothers it could help in an emergency health situation. So to induce infant mortality, if you had a faster pace of development, you could save many more lives and increase economic efficiency in so many ways. But that benefit is not, the regulator is not incentivized to calculate that potential benefit. 
the incentive is to only focus narrowly on the risk of the seen consequences. Right? I agree with you, Nick. And there's a complexity there, right? Because you have the regulator that oversights safety, right? And then above the regulator, there's a government. And then the government should realize the importance of the impact of technology. And they should be the ones that, that should foster a rapid process. And that's what happened in Africa, right? It's literally Sipline talking to the government, right? And saying, let's do this. And it worked. It worked beautifully. And I think it's something that needs to take in, in, into account that the advancement in technology, that it could be used responsibly. And then you have a niche project where you showcase what benefits you can bring. And healthcare, it's very important because you're saving lives and it's about time and drones save time. And, and that's a key aspect of it. And I think that this should be full government issue. And of course, in the international wor world of regulatory in entities like ICAO that oversees, there's an oversight for the standards of this sort of technology and approvals, they should move faster. And I, we should have areas of, of uh, testing areas where you have real cases where you could actually do this in rural scenarios. And that's one of the things that I have pushed here in Colombia. It's been very hard to actually accommodate corridors to be able to communicate big urban city with high-end hospitals with the rural counterpart that requires that sort of fast treatment in terms of medicine, medical devices, blood or plasma. Yes, I agree with you. There, there's, there, there needs to be more push. My podcast is typically in the middle of a phase where we talk about how not helpful the regulations are, but we're going to turn it around later and give it kind of an optimistic <laughs> tone and talk about solutions, right? So we're not going to just complain about the regulators being too slow or whatever. We're also going to praise countries like Rwanda and that are willing to, to try this and several others. And we're going to talk to that because you have some interesting news to share regarding the development of your company and the regulatory approval. Before we get there, I'm curious. So you talked about international regulation when it comes to aviation safety. How much of an influence does that have on the industry? It does have huge impact right now is extremely slow and then what level does that regulation happen what is the... it it's like the countries that signed uh, i believe the chicago agreement which are literally the civil aviation authorities around the world understand that there's a sandbox that's in place for commercial operations and aviation and this sandbox is not yet concluded for the use of drones on a commercial aspect If we had those, man, we would be operating right now in LATAM because most of the civil aviation authorities in developed countries and underdeveloped countries are always looking forward on what the international community sandbox says, right? And what was it that you said that they haven't agreed on what the standards are for commercial use? Was that it? Yes. So they have not published yet the sandbox of drone delivery. So this is what it's called ICAO. And it's, it's literally the international, I would say, I'll call it a Congress, right? That, that literally brings in all of the civil aviation authorities based on the convention of international civil 
aviation that was drafted in 1944 by 54 nations. And that is to promote cooperation, right, in, in terms of understanding aviation and to be a catalyst. And it's called International Civil Aviation Organization. What they do is they bring that sandbox in, but they have been very slow in terms of drone regulation for commercial purposes, especially for bringing in cargo. And also what you're going to see is what you mentioned at the beginning, the urban air mobility industry, where you're going to actually have autonomous vehicles serving as air taxis, transporting people between points and hubs. So most civil aviation authorities, especially in LATAM, are seeking what the International Civil Aviation Organization is going to say in terms of drone delivery. And that has been slow. I wish the standards could be published now so they could implement that faster. But of course, every country owns its airspace and they're free to implement this. But there's fear of the unknown, right? And that's something that I can say about Africa and Rwanda is they said, you know what? Screw this, right? We're going to do with Zipline a much needed logistics process to save lives. And I guess you need governments like that to actually move faster in terms of regulatory work. And of course, everybody's waiting for what the International Civil Aviation Organization is going to say, but countries should move faster. They own the airspace. They could actually open corridors that could save lives and test this technology faster. Yeah, so no country is really under a binding obligation, but there's this, we want to do what, the back, go with the best practice standards. So they look at what the Chicago agreement is and they say, we wait for what they say before we allow anything. Yes, pretty much. And mm -hmm. applause to Rwanda because you need experiments. You need, that's how any innovation works. You need the tinkerers, the hobbyists that have the sandboxes to try things out. Right. And that's something that we wish in LATAM that things could go faster. And But but of course, there's that scrutiny and there's this safety process in mind. And Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the good news. Which governments or jurisdictions in the world do you see as promising also for the development of your company? In LATAM, Brazil, it's literally on the forefront of regulatory work in actually permitting drone deliveries and also drone deliveries on VLOS operation, which is visual line of sight, but also BV loss, which is beyond visual line of sight. And that's great. And Brazil is a country in LATAM that is known for innovation. They take very good care of its aviation industry. Embraer, uh, a top aircraft manufacturer based in Brazil, the pride of that country. And they're moving forward with urban air mobility and drone delivery. And it's all because of the government is seeing that it's a much needed technology and they're spearheading. They're the, the country that it's operating faster than any other country in Latam trying to regulate this. We see Brazil with great eyes. We actually opened, opened our offices there and we are pursuing the entire regulatory process. And I'm surprised in how fast and diligent ANAC has been with this process. Difference, another story has been Colombia, very slow process. And response that I've gotten from them has been, we're just waiting on what the International Civil Aviation Organization is going to say in order for us to actually commit on 
modifying regulation. It's their loss. It's their loss because we could have done tests that could have been extremely useful for the healthcare sector. And I think right now our sites are in LATAM. Based on Brazilian experience, we can go ahead and also share uh, with other uh, civil aviation authorities and processes like Mexico and in Colombia and, 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 and see how we can actually foster a faster growth. And there's, when talking to authorities, I always tell them innovation uh, is, it's not done by what is written, right? So you will never innovate if you're just following a textbook. Innovation happens outside textbooks. Innovation brings failure and success together. And that's what regulatory entities need to understand. They need to give the green light, of course, with safety is paramount, with safety standards, but give the green light of giving us more leeway to be able to showcase this sort of technology. That's my take on that. I mean, it's often the history of new technologies. The internet, for example, people were fearing justifiably that it would invite sort of the scammers, the porn, the junk, all that stuff. But, and that came and that's still around, but it also brought tremendous good stuff, right? The same story is happening, I think, in crypto right now. It brings a lot of fraud, scam, bankruptcy. That's the, mm -hmm. But it's not that you don't have that in the current financial system, right. right? So people are measuring with different standards, right? So the new technology has to pass a much higher bar than existing technology. And regulators expect the safety standards on day one that you can only have like at day 10. Absolutely. We need to try out. Like someone, the case study about Zipline said, said something interesting. They said, our customers aren't buying a drone, they're buying a service. So even with infinite money, it would be very hard to build a service in the lab. You have to learn by doing. You can't develop algorithms in the lab and expect it to work in the real world. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And it, it comes into place where smart cities of the future should have governments that support a regulatory framework for the use of this high experiments that can bring a lot of benefit. Just to talk a bit more about Brazil, I'm curious, who are the people behind it? The ones that were obviously much more forward thinking than others, what were their motivations? And can you describe some interactions with them? I guess that Civil Aviation Authority in Brazil has superb personnel that are very proud of the industry. They're public servants that understand that they need to foster this sort of technology to grow and then to also accommodate investment for investment in new technologies in the region. So now you see a perfect example is Orchid, Colombian company, couldn't operate in Colombia, dove right into Brazil. So they're very proud of their, their aviation heritage and, uh, and aviation industry, which is the aircraft manufacturer has also looking forward for urban air mobility. So I'm talking about full eVTOL aircraft boarding passengers in Sao Paulo or Rio. And Brazil has one of the busiest airspaces in terms of helicopters. I think the city of Sao Paulo has the record, if not second place in terms of, of helicopter use. And I think it, it comes into place that they were going to adapt urban air mobility very fast and drone delivery as well. And I think that has to do with not only their heritage, their proud aviation industry, but also how the government sees the future and the adoption of 
frontier tech to literally go in their spearhead of early adoption and to bring economic success as well as health mm -hmm. benefits. What level of the public, what level are we speaking of? Is it like the Sao Paulo city or government or is it municipal or is it also some kind of federal state government that is so supportive of new technology? I think it's more the national government. ANAC is the civil aviation authority for the entire Brazil. So let's say if you were to get your design authorization or type certificate and airworthiness certificate, you could operate in the Brazilian territory, of course, give or take uh, uh, certain regulatory aspects for the commercial route, etc. I do believe that they're fostering technology very well, and they're looking forward on on adapting this on, on, on larger scales, especially on their two main cities which accommodate almost 80% of their population. And we have felt very welcomed. We have gone through a streamlined process of our certificate for airworthiness experimental, which is great. They said, listen, the first thing that you should do is get your certificate of airworthiness for experimental. And this is the process, right? You go through the whole technical review, your aircraft flight manuals, your maintenance manuals, your operation, etc. But then you select an area for your experimental operations. And that's great because they have streamlined the process and they have not placed a block on the, the ability for you to actually operate legally without pay, right? You, you could actually experiment. And that, that's what it's called, the certificate of worthiness experimental. But then, and then the next step is to foresee your type certificate and airworthiness certificate. But the thing is, they moved fast and they said, Listen, let's do this. And I've read of other companies uh, pursuing, let's say in, in, in the U.S., right, FAA certification. There are companies that have what been doing the FAA Part 135 air carrier certification for almost three years now. And they have been trying to operate through Part 107 and COAS on VLOS drone delivery. But it should not take so long. And these, of course, are robots. We're not transporting human beings. And regulation should be faster for it to accommodate a service that is much needed. Yeah. So when will you have approval in Brazil? And what does that mean for your company? What milestone will you be able to reach in what amount of time through that approval? And how will your growth path look from there? Excellent, Nick. So our certificate of airworthiness experimental uh, is going to be issued uh, this month. And then in parallel, of course, we're pursuing uh, type certificates and uh, airworthiness certificate uh, through a very thorough process, but that has the pathway to actually achieve that. So we expect Q1 2023 to start a B2B commercial operations on the healthcare sector and also retail with very good and interesting partners that will help us, of course, showcase the importance of drone delivery. Which other countries or jurisdictions do you see as the next best candidates mm -hmm. in the world after Rwanda and Brazil? Also personally giving a shout out to Prospera, the jurisdiction where I am in the country of Honduras and the island of Rotan, where we have also very forward-thinking administration where already having uh, Aerial Loop, for example, that is doing drone deliveries here, uh, mostly for experimental purposes, I think, right now, because it's a small jurisdiction right now, but it's right. always an option. It's fantastic what Prosper is doing. And I think if you guys welcome drone delivery, then we would love to actually go with our service and technology to your jurisdiction. We'd be very open to collaborate on our 
learning process in the design authorization type certificate process that we are undergoing in Brazil and try to bring that knowledge in Prospera and see how we can foster that. And I think other countries are literally spearheading this. And you have Australia with Wing. They just partner with DoorDash, which is huge for drone delivery. That That's fantastic. You have MANA in Ireland. And of course, you have Africa, right? That is welcoming Skyports with a Swoop Arrow, Zipline, and a bunch of other companies that are literally doing drone deliveries in, in Africa. We just, be, we just want to be very cautious on how we expand our fleet. We are very lean in our operation. And we want to do is first pass the entire process of getting a certification from a civil aviation authority. And then once we have that, then we can bring in the learning process to the expansion of the fleet and offer a mature service. Kudos to Prospera. And yeah, definitely you guys should legislate in terms of access for autonomous logistics in the island. Is that something that that you could connect the island with with the mainland or... Yeah, once you're on the mainland, that's a different jurisdiction, right? Not sure that's possible. What is possible, however, is Prosper also owns land in La Ceiba, which is a port town, right? And has access to like warehousing there, right? So that's an interesting connecting node, right? Because you can use space there for goods, for cargo and things like that and use that as a hub. That'll work beautifully. And what... Now that you mentioned the island approach, I know Japan is working with Zipline on actually doing this this process. They're spearheading also the possibility of connecting small islands with the use of drone technology, and that's going to be very beneficial. And also, Singapore, it's it's maritime port, it's implementing the use of drones, and I think logistics, the autonomous revolution is coming. It's right here, and it's it's going to stay. Fantastic. I think that's a great phasing out of this fantastic and really inspirational conversation. Santiago, is there anything you want to share about your company? Are you looking to hire? Are you looking for investments? Who should approach you and how can they find you? Excellent. Nick, thank you. Orchid right now, it's on a pre-seed approach. What we have is the MVP, which is overcoming the entire certification process in Brazil. And we're looking forward once we get a commercial permits, official commercial permits in the country to open a seed round for investment that will seek to expand our operational fleet with our B2B partners in that country, of course, and bring also that knowledge into the other countries that will welcome our type certificate from a civil aviation authority with such prestige as ANAC in Brazil. And people could look for us on our website is orchid.tech. And if you want to contact us via email, you can write to me directly, Santiago at orchid.tech. And uh, we're at the pre-seed stage. We're very happy with the investors and angel syndicates that we have that literally are pushing the boundaries of frontier tech in this part of the region. And I'm looking forward for exciting news in 2023. Santiago, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Nick, for having me. It was a pleasure and a privilege. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.